Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Charlotte. I'm Chad. Chad, I wanted to check back in with this really great project that you're doing on our Substack, which, by the way, dear listeners, you could also be dear readers. Yep. Come find us on Substack, and uh, there's extra content there. And there's a link on the... On our webpage yeah. at heavenlybanquet.com. Yeah. Uh-huh. Please do that. And... One of the things you'll find there is Chad has been engaged in a monthly series looking at a work by Francisco de Asuna on uh, contemplation, recollection, uh, spiritual practices, and wanted to get back into that project. I think it's fantastic what you've been introducing us to, so I wanted to open that up to some broader folks here. So what... What appeals to you about this? Oh, well, thank you. Um, it's just an opportunity for me to talk about contemplation and the co- contemplative life, um, or recollection, as Asuna calls it. Uh, maybe I should just say a little bit about him. Yeah. Quick. So Francisco de Asuna was a Franz- Spanish Franciscan friar, 16th century, mm-hmm. mid- mid-16th century. Um, not well-known, but influenced some well-known folks from the uh, golden years of Spanish mysticism. He was a direct influence of Teresa of Avila, or Teresa of Jesus. She had went to visit her uncle, uh, Don Pedro, and he gave her this book, which was Francisco de Asuna's third spiritual alphabet. Um, and that was her beginning for her own contemplative practice. So he was a direct influence on her and then an indirect influence on um, John of the Cross. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so it, he wrote six alphabets, although all of them were not alphabets. The first three were, I'm, I'm almost certain. The first one was on meditating on the passion of Christ. The second alphabet was on prayer and ascetic practices. The third, which is the one I'm using, is on recollection. Mm -hmm. The fourth was on love. The fifth was on uh, poverty and riches, Mm -hmm. commending poverty as a Franciscan. That's not surprising. And then the sixth one, again, was on the passion. And someone had asked him uh, what was the purpose of doing it in this alphabet form where, you know, each letter of the alphabet is, is a line that, Ideally, you would remember to help you with your practice or whatever. And he said, yeah, that's kind of the purpose. But he said, it's more about humility. As he put it, we need to be like children and learn our ABCs of spirituality. Oh, cool. Okay. I thought was kind of cool. But during his lifetime, um, these were popular, especially the third spiritual alphabet, which is the one I'm using. So maybe I'll just say something about recollection in general. Sure. Basically, it's just sitting still in silence. Um, it's effective. It's an effective spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. That is, it's focused on your desire and love for God versus intellectual. Um, it's apophatic in the sense that the intellect ideally is at rest and your awareness is wholly focused on God. So it's concept-free, mm-hmm. ideally. 
Um, and that's basically it. I mean, he suggests doing two hours a day. That's not my practice. I, I generally do 20 Who minutes. Who has the time for that? <laughs> I know. Although that's also part of, yeah, we act as though our technology and modern conveniences has made life easier for us. And in many, many ways it has. Yeah, yeah. But somehow we filled all of those gaps <laughs> with, with that, other yeah, things. That's right. So I'm envious of these folks who were... Yeah, just two hours of contemplation. So of course, he was a monastic, so yeah, he had two hours. True, true. You know, that sounds so simplistic or basic, as you say, and yet also it's hard. Possible, yeah. It's virtually impossible. It's not impossible, but right. it's hard. Yeah. It really is. And, and we can talk about that. So that's the general practice it's just sitting still with your whole focus turned towards God, the desire of your heart turned towards God. And we can talk more about that. But I'll just say something about why I decided to use this, mostly because I have like 23 opportunities to post on recollection. Right. I mean, in a way, it's just a foil for me to write. But I do have kind of a strange affection for this particular book. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to the pandemic, I had kind of a hit or miss practice of recollection. You know, I would do it a few days and then not for a few weeks. It was kind of like that. And then when the pandemic hit, I'm like, I'm going to establish a practice. I really want to get into this. Mm. And at that time, I had been given this book. And I read it two times back to back. Mm. And it wasn't because it's necessarily a great read, (laughs) you know. Um, It can be. But, again, it's a 16th century work. He's going to have... Um, some theology and general attitudes that I can't get on board with. Um, But for me, it was like finding these little gems in what can be at times a laborious 550-page field. (laughs) You know, it is a thick book. Um, One thing about Asuna is he sometimes takes a long way to make a point. And, And what makes it long is that on that journey to that point, you're going to He's going to give all kinds of various interpretations of Scripture. Mm. Virtually any passage in Scripture is a comment on recollection. Mm. Okay. I'll just give you a random example. Um, Joshua, the son of Nun. Uh, the word Nun means, as soon as it says it means permanent or eternal. And so that fact that he is the son of Nun means that um, practitioners of recollection should endure and oh. persevere. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Which to me is like a random connection, yeah, but that's yeah. kind of how it works, and you'll see a lot of that. Um, but but in all of that, and I, you know, I find that interesting. I like to see how uh, different folks throughout Christian history have used scripture. So that's interesting to me. But sure. I, it might be annoying for the general reader who's just trying to get, you know, the highlights. Right. But at any rate, there are also these gems. I mean. The, in the first letter, which is May the Person and the Spirit Walk Together, um, the, he, he establishes two things. The first thing is that friendship and intimate communion with God is possible in this life. Mm. And then the second thing he establishes is that anyone can enjoy that union through the practice of recollection. Wow. And that's very appealing to me that anyone can do. You know, it's very universal in that sense. Um, And then he has all these neat little images. My favorite one is uh, he he likens 
when you're sitting in, in recollection, you're going to become distracted. Sure. Inevitably. So how do you deal with that? And one of the little tools he gives, or the image he gives, he, he uh, likens distracting thoughts to, and to uh, your mind and being distracted to a tame bird that has flown away. Oh. I know, right? And um, he says, you, if, if this were the case, you would gently call it back. You wouldn't be harsh with it. And so he says, in the same way, when your mind is distracted, you, you should say, where have you flown, little bird? And what did you bring back from the world? Which mm. is apparently useless. Right. But, he, you know, the idea is to be gentle with ourselves. You're going to get distracted. Um, so don't be hard on yourself. Just recollect yourself by saying, where have you gone? And it, a lot of little things like that throughout the text that I try to bring out and put in the post to help. I mean, my main concern in these posts is, is mostly about method mm. um, and tools. Um, and one thing that's interesting to me about Asuna is how eclectic he is. He's pulling, I don't know exactly, I mean, he quotes people like um, Bernard of Clairvaux, um, Gers, and folks like that. So we know some of his influences, but he pulls these little tools to help you in recollection that, you know, go back to Cassian. Mm. Um, for instance, you know, you might be familiar in Cassian when he talks on prayer. He's interviewing, I can't remember what abbot, Abba it is, but. Um, this desert hermit says whenever you get distracted just continually say um, oh God come to our assistance Lord make haste to help me I can't remember what psalm that is but the idea is that you repeat that over and over to keep your mind occupied and your heart free mm, Okay. which is very similar to hesychasm in the way right. they use the Jesus prayer it's right. not the same thing right for Asuna, he doesn't use either one of those, but he uses a similar thing. He'll say, like, oh, Lord of my heart, and just repeat that as a way. So he's, it's the same general practice. And I'm always curious, well, where did he get that from? And I'm sure it's come down through the years, things like that. Another one that you'll find in um, at least contemporary literature on contemplative prayer is the idea of using a prayer word or something, like God or love. So when you're distracted, just say the word love. Mm. and to bring yourself back and, and keep using that same word so that over time, as soon as you use that word, your mind recollects. Mm. That's the idea. Okay. Well, he has the same thing. His word is no. <laughs> yeah. When you're distracted, just say no. <laughs> Mentally, of course. Right. You know. So it's, it's very eclectic, the different things that he brings into it. You know, it's interesting. It's a 500, it's around 550 pages. The practice of recollection, like I said, is very simple. Um, so you would wonder, what is he talking about? And really, it's all either preparation or, um, how do you put it, um, tangent, tangential things related to it? Because mm. the practice itself is very simple to explain. Right. Um, well, lots like, of encouragement for yeah, him as well. Yeah. yeah. So let me say this, okay. and I did this, I, I wrote this down in a post. You know, if somebody asked me, what would you recommend something to read for my practice of recollection? Uh -huh. I probably wouldn't recommend Asuna. Okay. What I would recommend is something like Into the Silent Land, uh, The Practice of Contemplation by Martin Lair. It's very accessible. 
Um, it's an enjoyable to read. You know, it's very easy to read. And he touches on these all these same little things, like the Jesus prayer or using a prayer word, and and how to, you know very practical aspects of the practice. So, if somebody wanted a recommendation, I would recommend that book. Okay. Um, Asuna's just kind of, I mean, I'm not saying don't read Asuna, but just be prepared. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's just kind of a weird thing with me that I've really grown to like the book. Yeah. 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 That would seem probably an intimidating kind of work for somebody. Yeah. Particularly just starting. Start, yeah. Yes. Why do I need this giant tome <laughs> right. to be able to sit in silence? Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. You've given us advice on on a book somebody might want to pick up who's mm -hmm. interested in this. Do you have other uh, practical advice, somebody who might want to dip a toe into recollection? Yeah, and this is one thing Asuna brings up a lot, and that is just persevere, mm. number one. You know, I started out doing like 10 or 15 minutes. 10 minutes when I first started out was hard. It was forever. It was forever. Yeah. And so I worked my way up. Um, and I think the general recommendation uh, for contemporary people who teach this kind of thing is 20 or 30 minutes, maybe twice a day. Okay. Um, I think it's helpful to find a particular spot that becomes the spot. Mm. I mean, I do it in the morning before I go to work. I have a chair I sit in, um, and I do about 20 minutes every day. Um, and I think it helps to have that spot because it's... You know, you know when you sit there that this is what I'm doing, and your body and mind are kind of get used to that. Right, right. Um, d don't get discouraged. So the the, the biggest obstacle obstacle is distraction. So there's a couple things you can do. Uh, you can use the prayer word idea, um, which is again when you become distracted, whatever your prayer word might be. For as soon it's no. <laughs> You say that and then gently recollect. And you might do that a hundred times in one sitting, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because if you stick with it in time, that will become less and less. And that prayer word or phrase, you might use a, a little phrase like Lord Jesus or anything. You know, what it, It's up to you. In time, as soon as you say that, you will recollect a lot easier. Um, so... And, and the other thing, Asuna, you know, he says, close your eyes when you do this. I can't do that. I will fall asleep. Mm. So when I recollect, I just focus my attention on a certain spot. Okay. And after a while, it just becomes a blur. Sure. Um, so that's basically it. One of the things I noticed right off the bat within the first few weeks of consistent practice as you start there's a little it begins to be a little bit of space between events and how I react to them mm, yeah you know which makes sense because if you're if you become somewhat practiced in letting thoughts go and stuff then you're not attached I mean one of the big things I've learned is that I am not my thoughts right you know um, which doesn't sound very profound but it is because a lot of times we have this cycle of thoughts and it carries us off and then all of a sudden we're feeling these emotions and all because it started with some some impetus that brought up a thought and now gone down this chain reaction now I'm all emotional about it right. and I'm, I'm invested as if it's me right um, but it was just a thought right and that was a real helpful thing to learn that um, I am not my thoughts and 
with practice, you begin to notice a little bit of space. It's not always perfect. Sometimes I still react like an idiot, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, that was um, fairly early. I noticed that. Um, but just in general, my whole outlook has changed in keeping this practice and being consciously aware of the divine presence is a real possibility in mm -hmm. this life. Yeah. And that's the big thing for me. I mean, intellectually, I, I've always known that God is ubiquitous. God is everywhere. So God must be present. But there's a distinct difference between that intellectual ascent and the experience. Um, and it, I don't want to it's hard to explain, <laughs> right. which is common, I think. Right, right. But it is a distinct thing, which is worth a pursuit. Once I began to sense a divine presence in my own life in a way I never had, then, you know, I was wanting to sit down and, you know, you know I was looking forward to it and might do it two or three times a day. That's what I wanted to do. The other thing I'll say for my own practice, besides just sitting in, res in recollection, is... I have used the Jesus prayer, mm. uh, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, or an abbreviated form, you know, just Lord Jesus, have mercy, and repeating that to keep my mind occupied and my, my um, really my heart empty. I don't know if that makes sense, because what happens is you begin to think about something and the more you focus on whatever that is, it's going to find a place in your heart. Mm. You're going to begin to feel in relation to that thought. And so in keeping my mind occupied with the Jesus prayer, you know, it, it, it keeps my, my heart empty. I don't, that, that doesn't really make sense, but it keeps me from being attached to um, this thought or this idea um, so that I begin to experience the world as it is in each moment instead of um, uh, coming to it with a preset of ideas or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that is, that's been a huge difference. You know, contemplatives both in the Eastern and the Western traditions talk about keeping, um, being empty of creatures, that if you're, if, if you're empty of creatures, which for them is like forms or ideas or images, then uh, as uh, Eckhart says, God must fill that hole. And that's kind of what my experience has, has been, which is somewhat counterintuitive. But I think it's this idea that there is a space within us that is created especially for God, Augustine. Um, and there's nothing we can do to fill that space, but if we empty it, God will fill it. It's weird that it, in contemplation and recollection, you're not really doing anything, but God does a whole lot. Unexpectedly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's hard to express to somebody who hasn't experienced it. Yeah. Uh, because also, you want that so badly that then a sense of striving enters in, which is counterproductive, yeah. too, right? You, it's a, a difficult thing. But that is that what you, how you would describe the, let's say, the object of this? practice the point yeah of it I mean as, as soon as he says in the opening letter that friendship and, and intimate communion with God is possible I do think that's it mm -hmm. too um, 
be filled with the presence and in the moment. And as a practical, practical point related to that, when I sit in recollection, I keep my mental focus here in my chest. Um, and for whatever reason, that cuts down a lot on mental traffic. Mm. I actually do it when I go to sleep, too. I'll say the Jesus prayer with my mental awareness in my chest. Mm. And man, I go to sleep a lot because the mental is... Do you connect your breath with it? I can, like, Lord Jesus, have uh-huh. mercy, exhale. Yeah. Yeah. I do that, too. Um, there's a book called The Way of the Pilgrim okay. that is on, on the Jesus prayer. And, and that's kind of the idea that you start saying it in, in, in the book, the, this traveler is using the Jesus prayer. First he says it vocally and then mentally. And then eventually the idea is it finds its way in your heart to so where you're not even consciously trying to repeat it. It just becomes your state. Um, Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. Why do you think it's so hard for us now? I mean, obviously it was, you know what I'm going to say, the very existence of this book, of this manual, mm-hmm. means it wasn't something that just everyone was doing either. Yeah. And was difficult and needed. they needed encouragement as well, right? So maybe I don't need to make such a hard line with like the modern problem around it. Yeah. But I think it is true that our ability to give sustained attention to anything mm-hmm has been diminished or is very short, let's say. Um, what other obstacles do you think there are to, to us pursuing this kind of a practice? I think distraction is a big one. Mm. I mean, our minds are constantly wanting to do something. I think that's just the natural. We're constantly distracted. I mean, and just from my observation, we're constantly distracted and don't realize it until you try to not be distracted, then you realize how just one little thought, one little sound yeah. can take you down a road, a mental road, that, and you're like, what am I doing? Why am I thinking? This is ridiculous. Um, so it's not just outward distractions that are the problem. Of course, they are. And, and even more with the electronics and things that are designed to distract us. Right. But just our minds want to focus on something. So I think that's a really difficult thing. Another thing, and I should say this, and I haven't talked much about it in the, the post, two things. Number one, when, when I finally had an established practice in the first, oh, so, once it was established, then there were several months there that my cognitive abilities were not great. Really? And for me, that feels like a problem. Yeah, no, that would be I, terrifying. And this is just me guessing that the, that the practice of denying the intellect its natural course of things kind of is like, what is going on? And then it didn't want to function right. I would sit down, because you know, you know me, I like philosophy. I would yeah. sit down with a, a journal article, and I could hardly make heads or tails. You were rewiring your brain. Yes. And it was... The only reason I wasn't freaked out about it is I had read, I don't think it was a sooner, I had read in somewhere else that this could become an issue, and it was. Wow. Um, and then it eventually worked itself out. But that's something I think might be, I should probably put that in a post to, 
um, so that people will know that's a possible. But the other thing, I think this is even maybe more alarming, is that when you shut down your, your conscious intellecting, I think something that happens is the subconscious begins to spit up things, memories and mm. stuff. And um, so it's not always bliss. Yeah. Um, and my reaction to that is just to keep recollecting in that past as well. Of course, I have, you know, I pray the hours and I have confession and stuff like that. So sure, that's, sure, sure. This isn't the only thing you're doing. Right. Um, you know, the, Asuna, as well as most all others, suggest having someone, a confessor, yeah. just for that purpose so mm -hmm. that you can say, look, I've been having these thoughts. I haven't had that. Um, I seem to be okay, <laughs> but I can see why they suggest that because, you know, some things might come up you hadn't thought about or you might have just have these weird thoughts because as your mind quiets down, the subconscious is like, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So be prepared for that, yeah. for that possibility and have somebody, everybody should have someone they should be they able can to talk, talk to with. anyway, That's period, right. but to anticipate, uh, being set up for that. You know, if you have someone who has some knowledge of contemplation or recollection, it's good to have, I'm not going to say a mentor, just a, a peer is fine. Sure. Just someone you can talk with is, I think that's always good. I think it's, uh, it's also a good reminder that, you know, when those things are coming up, we're not just shoving them back down, mm -mm. right? We don't want those distractions maybe in the moment when we're trying to recollect, mm -hmm. but they, that's something that wants to be that needs to be dealt with yes. in some way. Yeah. Um, so we're taking that somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, depending on what it is. It might just be a crazy thought or it might be a memory yeah. of something you regret. And so um, I, th I think having a time of uh, confession is good, uh, as most traditions have. So that's good. So, yeah, but... I wouldn't discourage someone from doing it just because of that. Oh, no, no, no. No, but yeah. be prepared be for Be prepared for that. Yeah. yeah. You, uh, you read me before we started a, a bit about uh, Asuna's words to preachers, pastors, that they may have some difficulty with this. Yeah. And I wondered if you would share that. I thought it was interesting. And I think... As I'm reflecting on it while we're talking, I think there might be some insights on why Protestants, maybe in particular, have some difficulty with this beyond even preachers. But Yeah. So, again, Asuna is very egalitarian in the sense that anyone can do this. But in um, one of the letters he talks, he's comparing contemplation with intellectual study. And at one point, he's, he's saying to people who don't have education, don't envy those who are educated and spend their time in study because, mm -hmm. in fact, that hampers their ability to dedicate time to recollection. And at one point, of course, you can imagine at this time, those who were educated in studying were often priests and preachers. Sure. And so he, um, and I'll just read it to you, and he's commenting on why it's difficult for preachers to practice recollection. He says... There is one thing that Scripture frequently warns against that preachers scarcely heed, not because they do not wish to do so, but because they are incapable of it. 
Contemplation and prayer strongly attract them, but they devote themselves to practicing them less than other devotions because they are so busy composing some novel sermon uh, that even if it is finished, leaves them disgusted and distraught. Mm. Um, He says, when others are celebrating feast days and holy days with joy in their souls, there this preacher is, their heart more afflicted than ever, their only concern what it is they're preaching, whether or not it will come out as they wish or if it will be fitting sermon for the feast day or fall short. And so he says, so study steals away everything, our solicitude in time. Um, Which I think anyone who has been a pastor I think can relate to that idea of how you, you can kind of worry about whether this sermon's any good and or or during worship it's hard to worship as oh, a impossible. pastor. It's impossible. It's not something you can do. Right, because you're go which ahead. is one of the things I think is so striking about this is I don't you know, in what we read about the tradition or even spiritual classics of Western spirituality, whatever, but this admonition that maintaining a spiritual life with the vocation of a pastor is extremely difficult. I mean, he's describing somebody on the verge of burnout. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, that they, they aren't worshiping, they're not looking forward even to a feast day. Right. You know, that they're just agonizing over sermons and probably the feedback, already thinking about the feedback uh-huh. to the sermon. And the whole Blue Monday thing. Uh-huh, yeah. Um. That's fascinating. But that, uh, that uh, inclination then on pastors, intellectuals, you know, to, well, intellectualize everything, mm-hmm. but to kind of jump to or work to, you know, understanding, thinking about, mm-hmm. um, and so not knowing or exercising other muscles or being able to turn that one off. I don't right. know what's a better way to say it, but. I mean, yeah. for me personally, when I look back on my years in undergrad and seminary, it was all intellectual pursuit sure. for me. I mean, I, was, sure. I wanted to read everything. I wanted to understand everything. Um, and when I finished seminary, I looked back, I'm like, oh, I'm spiritually bereft. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where it was after seminary that I started, man, I need to regroup and, and try to, what does my spirituality look like? Um, but just on this comment about pastors, because I, at least currently, am preaching every week, um, the practice has helped me not to have those kinds of worries, actually, mm-hmm. you know, to stay in the moment, look, God's will be done, I've got the sermon finished, I'm not going to worry about if it's good or not, I'm just right. going to give it, and then when I'm done, I'm going to forget about that, because right. I'm... Here comes Sunday again. Yeah. Yeah. Or anything else you have to do. Right. Yeah. We started some spiritual practice sessions at my church mm-hmm. recently. And uh, something I didn't anticipate as like a barrier or issue around language with it is people keep calling it a class. Mm-hmm. And it really is a time of like 45 minutes of guided contemplation mm-hmm. and I don't think you'll learn anything. <laughs> Unless it's <laughs> you by might. the Spirit. Yeah. yeah, you might gain some insights. You know, and It might even be just that subconscious stuff that starts bubbling up mm-hmm. that you're learning more about yourself, right? Which is an integral part of the Christian life. Um, but, you know, 
there's some people, oh, people, people really like your class. No. And then I find myself tongue-tied while I'm trying to tell them, actually, we don't do anything. <laughs> <That's true>. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you like to come? Yeah. <laughs> Please drive out. <laughs> but it's a very hard thing to like market, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because it's like you have to experience this. And it's either going to be for you or not, too. Yeah. And I'd love for people to try it more than once, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of try to get the hang of it. But... Um, that's um, that's bringing me what you've just read to thinking again, you know, uh, the larger part of the Protestant tradition, the Presbyterian tradition, of, like people of the book, mm-hmm. and that doesn't just mean like this kind of primacy of scripture, but like we love God by knowing God, mm-hmm. and that means learning as much as possible concepts and ideas. Yeah, well. and. So there's almost something just absolutely contradictory yeah. here with saying, no, empty all of all of that stuff out of your head, but also just the inclination, the basic inclination to try to grasp thoughts. Yeah. There's a lot of Protestant pushback against this kind of thing. Yeah, there is. All you have to do is Google it. Yeah. And that's pretty sad because, number one, they're wrong. <laughs> And number two, they are probably keeping people from something that could benefit them greatly. Sure. I mean, I'm not evangelical in the sense of, you know, I'm not going to be standing on the street corner asking people where they're going to be when they die, that kind of thing. But when it comes to this, I have become somewhat evangelical Mm -hmm. because it's been so beneficial to me. Um, And I'm like, if people will just try it. And it... It makes me sad that the Protestant reaction against these kinds of spiritual practices has been so strong, out of ignorance right, and prejudice. And there's a lot of old anti-Catholic sentiment right. there, too, particularly in America, uh, because it's tied up with anti-immigrant sentiment and yeah. everything else. It's but for most of Christian history, both in the East and West, there were the, the, these were common practices yeah so they're not anti-christian right regardless of whatever you know your protestant preacher might say don't listen to them <laughs> and as soon as it says wonderfully egalitarian it is yeah right i don't need uh, somebody to do it for me or no. to show that i can just sit and i could do that anywhere yeah and anytime i needed anytime. to anytime that's right so, yeah. And it, as it should be, that God, the presence, should be accessible to anyone. Uh, I just, we seem to also have gone almost nearly full circle, the Protestant tradition, around with, like, the church. It's not that the church should tell us what the Bible means, whatever. We should be able to pick it up for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're almost right back there with its it's what the commentary says, period, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of thing. I get some of that pushback even in trying to teach Bible studies where I'm like, what do you guys think? And they're like, what? <laughs> 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 Who would possibly care? And I'm like, no, I'm actually desperate for your thoughts and questions because yeah, that's going to enlighten me, not mm-hmm. this guy. You know, I've got, I've got that. Um, We're all students. Yeah. But just... So, but the basic exercise, like we talked last week, 
in last week's episode that you could just you should be able to just pick up the Bible and learn something That's right. and get something out of it. Right. Anyone should be able to do that. And then here, yeah. anyone should be able to have a contact with the divine. Yeah. Because as you say, the ubiquitous nature and God is closer to us than our own breath. That's right. Why would we not want to be intimately aware of that presence?